And I think it's something that we don't uh, consider as important to the degree that we should. <clears throat> I also think it is something that is the key thing that we should look at when we start trying to figure out why godly Christianity is not being passed down from one generation to the next. I think it's the, error, the, the, the failure is precisely in this area. You say, what are the evidences of it? Well, let me offer a couple. Uh, the Bible college that I graduated from in 1989, Bob Jones University, been 80 years now, um, a school that's been recognized for a very firm biblical stand and producing godly Christians, pastors, missionaries, evangelists, Christian school teachers, and so on, is about half uh, the size that it was when I graduated about 30 years ago. They are struggling to reach 3,000 students. There were 6,000 and 6,000 plus uh, at the time I was a student and the few years before that. Why the attrition? Well, you can bet they're asking that question. We look at the closure of several Bible colleges in the last 10 years. Why? We look at declining numbers of people who are going out as missionaries. Why? We look at the general health of many churches that are Bible-preaching, solid, fundamental-type churches. What a, why are their numbers static or in decline? We look at something that really is getting closer to what I believe is the answer to the question, and that is, where are the young people? Because in many churches, you can see an awful lot of gray heads. But where are the younger people? And I think that it comes down to this particular issue. We are not engaging as we ought in the very most important discipleship area that we have. And that is our own families. And that's why I'm making an appeal today. And I hope that it will not fall on any deaf ears today. I hope that these words will not fall to the ground. But I hope that you will recognize the very severe situation that we are facing. This is a trend that cannot continue. It's a trend that must be addressed and must be changed. And that is families taking responsibility to disciple their children in the Lord. And that begins with the most basic unit of the family, which is a husband and a wife. You are a family the day you say, I do, you form a new family unit. And that begins the responsibility of family worship. And then it continues on, even after the children are gone, through the time they're young on into older age. They, even when the children are, are gone, you're still a family unit, so long as there are two. And we have some here today for whom that situation doesn't apply, but you have the power of influence. You have the power of encouragement with others. And I want to encourage you to exercise that power through prayer and through encouragement that there be family worship for God's glory and for the good of those involved, those people whom you love. And so with everybody here today, there is relevance on this topic, whether directly or indirectly. 
And I hope you realize the gravity of what I'm talking about. Because we are not doing well evangelizing and discipling the next generation. And by the grace of God, I as your pastor want to do what I can to help reverse that. So I hope you'll give it a patient and careful and relevant listening today as I share with you uh, what is in your booklet, which is not original with me, but it's something I received a few weeks ago when I went to a pastor's conference and heard a man that I respect very, very highly and have for decades now, Dr. Mark Minnick, a former university professor of mine. Uh, had, I've had several classes from him. And uh, since that time, I've also listened to him a good deal on his recorded messages. By the way, if you haven't discovered the benefit of listening to good Bible preaching by podcast or online or on the radio or somewhere else, I encourage you to that. If you're not sure whom to listen to and you want some suggestions, I have many to give, and I have some to warn you about too. <laughs> but I would encourage you to nourish your soul with good Bible teaching. I do not make any pretense that everything, what I give you is is sufficient and enough and you shouldn't listen to anybody else. No, I encourage you to listen to good Bible teaching elsewhere also. But don't miss the services of our church to do it, okay? All right, so with that, I invite your attention to our uh, a few practical helps on the matter of family worship. And I'd like to begin with by just simply asking um, what your feelings are about it. Now, what I mentioned a moment ago, I guess I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, is that we are seeing a disturbing trend of attrition in fundamental circles. In the book of Proverbs, have you ever noticed how the instruction of parents is referred to? There are things like your father's instruction or even the word commandment. And then you have words that are spoken of regarding the input of a mother to children. And you have words like law. And it is the same word that is used in regard to the law of the Lord. How strong is that? And here we find in the book of Proverbs that young people are to hear the instruction of the father and forsake not your mother's teaching. You have similar words in chapter 4 and verse 2. Forsake not my teaching. And there is that word law I referred to a moment ago. Moving quickly here, Proverbs 6 and verse 20. These verses all say about the same thing. You have the words commandment and teaching. I want to just raise a question. Where does this happen? What is the environment in which a parent can instruct a child, can share with them valuable spiritual teaching on a consistent basis? pouring one's life into the life of another. I want to mention to you that I believe that the place where that should be done, primarily, but not, not solely, is in a family worship context. When you think about the subjects in Proverbs that would be included in the subjects of, that would be called law and commandment and teaching, we're talking about a lot of very practical and relevant things, aren't we? I've got a little list here. Have you, if you've read through the Proverbs at least one time, you have noticed it has an awful lot to say about money, doesn't it? 
So as you will read your Bible as a family, you're going to be instructed about what God has to say about money. There's a lot. About the subject of speech. A lot of bad speech we hear in our society. A lot of surprisingly bad speech, sometimes uttered by Christian people. How come they're not getting it? Well, you read through Proverbs together, you'll get an awful lot that it has to say about speech. Morals are dealt with in the Proverbs. Strong warnings against what's called the strange woman. That word would have reference to somebody who is not yours, that doesn't belong to you, that you have no business being around or with, and certainly in the moral sense to avoid. Certainly a lot of teaching in Proverbs on the subject of friends, how damaging they can be if you have the wrong kind of friends, and how to be the right kind of friend, what you do when you're the right kind of friend. A lot of teenagers get corrupted in their early teens and later teens because they get very close friends with the wrong kinds of people. And it's interesting that the first chapter of Proverbs does not go by without the wise man instructing his son on that issue. So I raise the question again, where is the context for teaching these things, a parent to a child? We may have some people here this morning who would say, Pastor, I don't think my parents ever instructed me on several of these points. I got almost nothing. I don't know what I was supposed to do because my parents never raised those questions. And that's a very sad thing. I think that's a, that marks a change in our country from what it used to be. But I also want to call every single person here to do your part to restore the right way of doing it. There should be a context for teaching these things. And my argument to you is it should be the family worship time. Now, there's a man that is not in our circles but has written on this subject very convincingly. His name is Joel Beakey, and he lives in Michigan. And he, in fact, has taken some stands within his denomination. We are talking about the Dutch Reformed uh, denomination that have not been popular and, in fact, have led to his uh, separating himself from the denomination and forming a new one. <laughs> Which is, more, which is a more conservative denomination. And he has written on the subject of family worship and has taken very careful note of the retention of the young people. Now, as we have mentioned, there is a lot of attrition happening. That word simply means that we're losing. We're losing a high number of people. And the people we're talking about are our kids and so in the Dutch Reformed denomination that Mr. Beakey is involved with, he has taken note that the retention rate of in their congregation, and this is over a couple of decades now, is 65% in their churches. So 65% of the kids who are raised in their church continue on in their church. Now, of course, we understand that sometimes economic and educational pursuits take young people away from the area in which they've been raised. That's understood. But even in the case of those who have left, 20% of them end up in similar churches in a different location, perhaps. What's that rate when you put it together? That's 85%. Or wait, my math is bad. No, wait. Uh, yeah, it's 85%. 
Sorry, I was thinking I messed up my numbers. That's a really good number, isn't it? Now, there's going to be some attrition. Why? Because not every child is going to make good decisions, even when raised in a very good family. That happens. You say, wait, I thought Proverbs 22.6 said that if you train up a child on the way he should go, that when he's old, he will not depart from it. Well, we've dealt with that verse in detail in the past, but I'd like to remind you that even God saw failure with the first two people that may well be regarded as the children of God. Did he fail? People make choices, and sometimes older, teen, older, older young people, older children will make very bad choices, even when they've been raised properly. If their heart hasn't been given to the Lord, there's nothing the parent can do to stop that. Now, what are your feelings about family worship? Oh, I didn't mention that once, or, once a year, two elders visit every home in this particular denomination and ask about the subject of family worship. And you know, you might look at that and say, man, I hope our church doesn't start that. I don't want anybody, I don't want deacons, pastor coming to my home and asking about family worship. And I would simply ask, why not? Why wouldn't you want somebody from the church coming and offering some very practical advice and help and encouragement. I didn't say we're starting it, but I'm just asking why you would think that might be a bad idea. You say, well, that'd be accountability. Right? <laughs> we all need accountability. I'm just going to let that one go for a moment. I'm not announcing anything, but that's the way they do it, okay? And maybe that does have something to do with why they they're consistent in it and why their kids are, are staying around. We move on. I'm not sure what your feelings were when we passed out the pamphlet a, a few moments ago and saw the title Family Worship, but how you feel about something is very important to what you do about it. Have you noticed that? If you're hesitant, if you're, you're fearful, that has a, a high bearing on the actions you take next. So just stop for a moment and try to self-analyze. Were you excited or curious, expectant? Were you hopeful? Maybe you wanted, you'd like to see this happen more in your house. Were you, are you optimistic? And just think back to when you, you got the pamphlet a few moments ago and read the title, okay? And saw the pictures on the front and maybe opened it up and tried to get the sense of where are we headed here with all this, what's going on. Then you got the idea, okay, this, this is what this is about. Were you ambivalent about it? Were you hesitant or uncertain? Were you apprehensive or discouraged? I bet there are some of those because you've tried and you've had varying degrees of success or maybe failure. And maybe you're thinking, I don't know if we can really succeed in this at all. It might be that you're embarrassed and you're thinking, oh man, pastor's going to hold me to account in something that I'm not doing very well at. Your feelings are kind of important about this, frustrated or insecure. Take a moment and just look at the pictures on the front. I told you this is a different kind of message this morning, right? <laughs> you're looking at pictures and what are you seeing when you look at the pictures? Hey, is your booklet like mine? I got to flip mine. Sorry about that. 
Oh, well. You can see what happens when I do my own photocopying. <laughs> okay, so uh, look at the pictures on the front. Flip it if you have to. Just talk to me for a moment here. Informally, what are you seeing? What are you noticing about those pictures of people who are reading their Bibles? Talk to me. What do you, what do you notice? Say again? Yeah, there, there are families that are gathered here. Um, quickly, Edith, uh, what do you notice about the numbers of those families? <laughs> some just have two adults, don't they? And some of those adults are what? Yeah, some of them are pretty aged. Some of them are younger. Some have children. Anything else? What are you, what are you seeing here? What are you noticing? Because these pictures are all intentional. They vary in location. There's, there's a family that's out having what looks like a picnic, right? And they're sitting on a blanket, but they're having a time of family worship. So it does not necessarily have to be in one location all the time. What else? What are you seeing? Anyone? Say again? Yeah, it certainly is something that a single parent can do with, a, with children. You need not have two parents. Sometimes there's a parent who will not participate. What do you do then? Don't give up. Anyone else? It's a, it's a, there's a cross, racial cross racial line. Yeah, some cases that's, def, that's a, an important and necessary thing. Anything else? Yeah, it does vary in time of day. What do you see in that bottom picture? What are they doing there? Yeah, it looks like singing, right? You ever consider doing that in family worship? Uh, I will tell you, it's done less and less because our society is not a singing society as it used to be. In some cases, we can be thankful for that. But... In Christian circles, we ought to restore that with the right kind of music. Okay, so back to the inside. You can flip back to the inside if you need to. So what facts about family worship are displayed? Well, let's just make a few observations. Scripturally speaking, worship is something that we offer to God of which he alone is worthy. In other words, if we're talking about family worship, we're talking about something that we offer then in this family group. What was offered in the Old Testament? Well, sacrifices of various kinds. Animal sacrifices were made. Grain sacrifices were made. There were sacrifices that were mandated. There were sacrifices that were voluntary. There were places where you needed to make sure that your sacrifice went through a priest. And in cases before the law, we found that the father of a family was acting basically as the priest, such as in the case of Job. As you may have noticed in the first chapter, that Job, when his children would get together and celebrate birthday parties, is what it has the look of, 
Job would offer sacrifices for every single one just in case they had gone over the line and been a little excessive in their jubilation or what have you in that celebration as a family. That's a man who cares about godliness in his family. And notice the father was acting as a priest of the family. Abraham, in a similar sense, Isaac, Jacob, the patriarchs, all. Noah is a good example. In the early days before the law was given, It was father who acted as priest of the family. Very interesting thing thing to take note of. Worship is offering something to God of which he alone is worthy. And we notice in Romans 12, 1 and 2, very important statement about worship. We are to present our bodies as living sacrifices unto the Lord, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That's just average C, is giving ourselves to the Lord. That's reasonable Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Okay. Can that be done as a family? Well, sure, especially if the parents are taking leadership. Dad's acting as priest of the family. Sure. Those things can be done as a family. That can be as few as two forming a family unit. I have no evidence that you can be a family with one. Seems like it's got to be two. And there is no age limit involved with this. Things that are done in the family worship can include, obviously, a time of Bible reading. There should be a time of prayer. There should be a response to the Lord. That certainly makes sense. I think there's also appropriateness to having a time of prayer before you open your Bible and read it. Why? Well, to let the Lord know you're approaching him and you seek his illumination through the word. Maybe that one of the reasons why some read their Bibles without much understanding and much benefit is they haven't stopped to ask God's blessing and help before they've opened their Bibles and read it. Make sure you do that before you give up on your Bible reading. And then we might also point out the singing, as we've already made mention of in the photos here. It might enhance and help your family worship if you'll just have a hymnal nearby and say, hey, let's sing a good hymn uh, about this particular subject or something to open up our hearts. Have you noticed that hymn singing warms the heart? And maybe we need uh, more of that in our time of seeking the Lord together. can be done in any locality or room. You need not have only one place to do it or feel like, oh, well, we're on vacation, can't have family altar today. <laughs> no, any, any place that you happen to be, you can find a, a, an opportunity to pull people together and have your time of family worship. So why begin and persist? Just a few notes about this. Well, I would say the, one of the strongest references we have in the Bible that would encourage us to do this is Joshua 24 and verse 15. Now you may recall that at the end of the book of Joshua, we have Joshua now an older man, and he recognizes that as he's about to pass off the scene, that some of these younger folks of these Israelites may not continue on in the way of the Lord. And he issues some very strong challenge. And then he, he also declares his fidelity to the Lord and how it will be done as far as it affects him. Where he has influence, this is how it's going to be. 
Listen to him in Joshua 24, 14 and 15. He says, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Now verse 15, it's on the screen if you need it. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, how could that be evil? That's a strange and perverse way of thinking, isn't it? But he then says, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It is more than one Christian home I have visited over the years that has had this on a plaque as I entered the home. In some cases, they've had it on the door, some on the outside of the house by the door, sometimes it's in the entryway, and I appreciate the testimony and the desire that people have by putting the plaque up. You don't have to do that, but I trust it is your resolve, especially if you are the head of the house, that this is how it's going to be regarding your house. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. By the way, both things are necessary. You ever met parents who are absolutely convinced that their children should serve the Lord, but they're not doing it? (laughs) They're all about making the kids go to youth meetings and junior church and and Sunday school, but they don't go. Wait, wait, wait. we got to be a good example to people we want to influence, right? As for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. I hope that verse just rings in your head throughout the rest of this day and as we go through this study together. Because it's a great basis for beginning and persisting family worship. We move on. A second reason why persist in this and begin it. Well, because family worship will be one of your effective and practical means of keeping and promoting that scriptural resolve. In other words, you need a time and a place to help effect your plan, to bring it into reality. How are you going to do it? Not just willy-nilly, not just in teachable moments. You need something that's systematic and regular. In this time, you can work together. That is, uh, uh, spouses can work together for the spiritual welfare of their marriage. I know every Christian couple that stands before the altar says, we want to build our home on Christ. Well, How do you practically do that? If you don't have a time of family worship, you're missing the key component to building your marriage on Christ. To provide a consistent means of evangelizing your children systematically and naturally. Where would you expect your child is likely to be saved if you're a parent? You say, well because our church will have an evangelistic meeting and an evangelist will come in and preach the gospel and my child will probably get saved in an evangelistic meeting. You know, I really don't think that should be the likely place. You say, well, maybe pastor will preach a, an amazing sermon and my, my kid will get saved at the end of that or, or something. You know, I think the logical place where you're probably going to see most kids get saved In a home where the Bible is consistently being read and taught, obeyed, practiced, 
I think it's going to be an outflow of that, most likely. And I would like to encourage young parents to get a vision for that. Not to say there's something wrong if your child doesn't come to Christ in that environment. And I'm not saying that. But I'm saying it's where the preponderance of the biblical teaching is going to be given. In other words, more will be done in your home on a daily basis than in any other place, including church. Here's the third idea. Uh, This is also the time in which you can disciple your children. We have the Shema passage of Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. Really, hear, O Israel, listen. The Lord your God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. And he says, these words which I command you this day, they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You'll write them on the doorpost of your house and upon your gates. You'll teach them when you lie down, when you rise up, when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way. He's saying basically through the whole fabric of life, it is the parent's responsibility to teach the child to love the Lord and to follow his word. Question, parent, when are you doing that? You see how we're getting to this? How are you going to fulfill these responsibilities as a Christian parent? You need a time and a place for teaching your children. And even if your kids are older and gone, you still need a time of being taught by the word, of subjecting yourself to what God has to say for you as a couple as you're seeking him daily in the word. Husbands, this will give you an opportunity to exert spiritual leadership in your home. We all know that the Lord has put a man in the house to be a spiritual head over the wife. The, the spiritual head of every, of every husband is the Lord Jesus Christ. The spiritual head of the Lord Jesus Christ is whom? God the Father. Spiritual headship is taught, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, and the following verses. Now, what right does Joshua have to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord? Well, to a feminist today, they would say, well, you and who else? Who are you talking to, Joshua? Sounds like if your wife isn't along with that, then you're in big trouble, buddy. (laughs) Wait a minute. The biblical approach to the subject is God-fearing women ought to give reverence, respect, and submit to their own husbands and the Lord. God-fearing husbands ought to exert that spiritual leadership in a godly, gentle, and meek way, but still exert the leadership. In other words, a statement like Joshua's is not over the top and excessive. It's something that godly men should say, and it's something that godly women should rejoice to hear their husbands say. Could we get an amen on that? So say it. That's what it's going to be. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. J.C. Ryle makes the statement a Christian home is more than two or three Christians living in the same house. A few Christians living under the same roof does not make a Christian home any more than two or three bankers living in a house makes it a bank. In other words, there needs to be the practice of Christian principles to make it a Christian home. Ryle says, I charge you, fathers, take every pain to train your children in the way they should go. I charge you not merely for the sake of your children's souls. I charge you for the sake of your own future comfort and peace. 
Truly, your own happiness in great measure depends on it. Children have caused the saddest tears that man has ever had to shed. I'm going to share with you a very personal regret. I don't think I've shared with anybody, including my wife. but She can listen to the sermon. The day my son graduated college, I graduated high school, my older son, and went off to college was one of the saddest days of my adult life, and I will tell you why. Because I was standing there thinking with all the regret for all that I wanted to teach him still, and there he goes. You say, Pastor, you should have done better in teaching your son. I probably should have. Thankful for what I was able to do. I'm thankful for what he received. But I will tell you, if you haven't had the experience yet, you will, because you'll be thinking, there is so much more I wished I could have shared. And I'm pleading with you, especially younger parents, don't waste your opportunities to invest yourself in the life of your kids because that day will surely come and you may have the same regret I have had. I move on here. Try to get on a subject that doesn't make me teary. How about this? To contribute to rearing a new generation of of servants for Christ. Yeah, that's what it's all about. This is our primary job of disciple making and Consider this, I think we all love the church, the true church of Jesus Christ, the born-again body of Jesus Christ, and we want to see it succeed. We don't want to see churches close. We don't want to see them hapless and anemic and apathetic. Well, how do we go about seeing it become stronger? Parents, it's so key that we do our job of discipling children so that they can be the agents of revitalization of the church. And I hope I'm speaking to some younger people and this is lighting a fire under you because you are gaining a burden and a passion for revitalizing the work of Jesus Christ in your day. We need it desperately. Richard Baxter in the work the Reformed Pastor said, you are not likely to see any general reformation until you procure family reformation. By the way, that work is well worth reading. Richard Baxter, minister of Kidderminster. Uh, this would be the mid-17th century, went there. And he's a very interesting figure. But the work has been studied for hundreds of years now by pastors because he saw revitalization in his area as a minister of the Church of England, but a Puritan, a, one, a reformer. He basically was writing this book to say, this is what we need to do to reform the pastorate so that the churches can be reformed as they ought to be. He is not talking necessarily about reformed theology here. He was not a thoroughgoing Calvinist. He's talking about the practice of Christianity. And one of the key things he did was to promote, ready, family worship in his church, including accountability by the church, going to the families in the churches and 
teaching them, helping them, instructing them, to some degree holding them accountable so that they were having times of family worship. And it did revitalize the church. He is talking about his own experience. Finally, to ensure that every member of the family worships the Lord on a daily basis. We all think that's important, I believe. Say amen if you believe that. Well, then, if you have family worship, you have a way of ensuring that that happens from the oldest to the youngest member who happens to be present. Everybody's going to at least have some time worshiping the Lord on a daily basis. So let's get real practical. Number four. It says three, I know, but you've got one of those already, so let's call it four, okay? How should you begin? Number four. How should you begin? Well, parents, uh, let's be real practical here. It takes two. That's why God gave two parents in the home (laughs) to help make things happen. Dad, I know you could be heavy-handed and say, this is when we're going to do it every single day and uh, just lay down the law and say that's how it's going to be. Okay, that's fine, but it might be more helpful if you talk to your wife and say, honey, let's talk about this a moment. How can we best pull this off? Uh, so we're, as a family, doing this. Let's face it, schedules get complicated. I will be very plain to say, very frank to say, we did really well with this as a family when our kids were younger, but the older they get, the harder it gets. Uh, work schedules get nutty, and school schedules get crazy, and You know, we have people going every which way. And the the older my kids have gotten, the harder it has been to have a consistent, regular time time of family worship. And I will tell you, if it weren't for my wife giving input on this, it never would happen in our house. (laughs) And my wife is so key, too, because when we've tried to do it and we've had good success in the past, it's usually been around a mealtime. And that means we need to have a sense of when the mealtime is going to be, and have a sense of how we can end in a way uh, in the meal where we're all sitting around the table and we can bring out the Bibles and we have at least a small block of time that we can devote to family worship before we all have to go in another way. It gets complicated. We all have those issues in some way or another. I'm saying I think it's really good for a couple to talk about it and figure out. Now, the fewer children you have, the less complication you have. Okay, with every single less person, the easier it can be. But talk with your spouse. Figure out a way to do it. And I want to encourage ladies to approach husbands and husbands to approach wives. Both ways. I hope you both are concerned about this and you will have a conversation together about it. Ladies, let your husband take the lead. You can be a suggester and a helper. I think that's what God wants you to be. But work together and come to a plan. Discuss it. Best time, how much time. Uh, I'm not talking about an hour here, not necessarily an hour. You may need to start with a fairly brief time. We'll give a suggestion on that. Think about the best place where you can meet. Is it, do you have the setup in your home where it's best that you can all sit down on a couch in a living room? Some do, some don't. Uh, Is it best that you sit around your kitchen table? That seems to work for an awful lot of people. Is it best that you do it in the morning or maybe the evening? Either, either can be fine. There's nothing sacrosanct about the time. Nothing sacrosanct about the place. How about the time which you can do it for a regular practice? 
And what should the structure of it look like? Well, there are a few components that we'll recommend. Certainly a time in the Word. Certainly there should be a time of prayer, brief prayer. Singing, I'm going to say, is optional. Maybe you don't have a hymnal in your home. Maybe you feel like we all kind of croak our way through a hymn as a family. I think the singing would be a downer for everybody. Well, maybe so. Maybe so. But singing can also lift your spirits. It can get your thoughts where they ought to be. It can prepare the heart for worship. That's one reason why we do it in in church. It is a biblical component of worship. And it should be considered, at least, in the family context. Somebody will say, well, Pastor, what about my kids? They're so small. Uh, Should we just use a Bible story book? Some of those are very helpful. I'll give you Joel Beakey's opinion on it, which I happen to agree with. He says, children's Bible stories are fine, but in family worship, read the Bible and read all of it. I think it does us good to have the habit and the practice of reading everything there. You say, well, pastor, there are some things in the Bible that are embarrassing. Have you read parts of 2 Kings? Uh, Yep, I sure have. You say, have you ever read anything that might be embarrassing? I sure have. And I've done it in family worship too. There is a phrase which I will not repeat here that does come up (laughs) in a few places in the Old Testament. And I will tell you, and when you're reading it in a family context, it brings giggles and a little bit of embarrassment. In fact, there are a few phrases like that. You say, well, maybe we should just pass over those things. No, I think we shouldn't. Because all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished to all good works. Think about this. Even difficult subjects. There's a passage in the Old Testament that describes a rape. There are passages in the Bible that describe horrible murders that take place. And other things too. But isn't it nice to have a document in your hand that gives you the right moral tone for describing these things? In other words, you have a judgment that's given about them. You have God's opinion about those things. And you know you should, these things are going to come up in life. Wouldn't it be wise to be able to have a discussion based upon those things as they come up in your family Bible reading? Because God's raised the issue in your Bible reading. You with me here? My suggestion is don't, gloss by those things or avoid them because they can be part of the instruction the commandment the law that you're getting from God and the teaching of parents based on that make sure you parents that you agree with God don't take it as opportunity to disagree with God because God's law is perfect and we need to make sure that the kids are getting it I need to hasten so we can conclude here in a timely way. Seek to have it every day if possible. I realize some will say, well, pastor, should we try it on Sunday too? (laughs) If possible. Saturday? That's kind of a, a rest day, isn't it? Well, seek to do it every day if possible. You say, well, what if I miss a day? Have I become ungodly? Well, probably not. 
but try to be consistent as possible. Have a time of singing and prayer, age-appropriate teaching. One thing that in the Reformed churches they do is make sure that on Saturday night everybody prays for the pastor. Yay, do that. You can do it on Saturday morning, too. You can do it on Friday. But please pray for me. I need your prayers. I really do. Begin reasonably. Uh, about 10 to 12 minutes as a start time. That's not real long, is it? And then evaluate. <laughs> so you think you've talked it over with your spouse and you've got the right time and you got the plan and then you start carrying it out and it doesn't go well. <laughs> that happens. So periodically evaluate. Is there a better time to do this? The way it's being done. Dad, don't use it as a platform to be the frustrated preacher and correct everything in your house. Mom, either. Okay? Let it be a time where you're all being instructed by the word. Make observations. That's fine. And encourage everybody to take part. What's the Lord teaching you? Have any questions? What's going on in this passage? What does God want us to learn from it? What are we supposed to do with this? Try to answer those questions. You say, Pastor, I'm not very good at application. Well, maybe this is a good time then to suggest a good practical commentary to pull out if you get stuck. And that's one reason why a lot of believers through the years have used Matthew Henry. And I would recommend his concise commentary. That's MHCC if you're getting an abbreviated version from it on some uh, Bible program. I might recommend if you use Android uh, or iOS that you try My Sword on your phone or tablet. My Sword. It's amazingly powerful. It's got amazing numbers of uh, commentaries and dictionaries, search tools, and so on. But try to read without the commentary first and try to receive what the Lord has for you first. Then if you get stuck, then go to a commentary and say, okay, what, what am I supposed to think about this? How does this apply? Let them help you out. That's one of the reasons why God's given them to us. So something like that can be very helpful. But I would encourage you to try to read a print Bible in your devotions just so you don't get distracted because you don't want notifications for that email coming, right? From that company you never have bought anything from, but they want to notify you every single day about their great deals, and that happens to come and you get the ding while you're trying to read God's word. I know, you, I know, I know, you can shut them off, fine, whatever, but I'm suggesting to try to rid yourself from the distractions because they're always available, right? It's amazing what things we pop into our minds that need to be done, right? It's the most valuable time of generation of responsibilities when you open your Bible. <laughs> the time when you're not supposed to be thinking about those things. Proof the devil exists, right? So adjust your schedule, format, and be flexible. Now, what are we supposed to do with all this? Well, start having family worship. <laughs> this is not too hard, is it? If you've, if you've done it in the past, then restart it. Rebuild the altar. If you are doing it and you're, do, you're already doing all this stuff that's been suggested, God bless you. Praise God for you. Keep it up. 
And all I want to do is encourage you, you're doing well. Keep doing it. Keep doing the right thing. And if you're sitting here this morning, you're saying, Pastor, I don't even have a family in my house. I'm by myself. What's my supposed to do with teaching on family worship? How about praying for your kids? How about praying for the family and then encouraging them in every good way toward that? Because it's really, really important. If you love your grandkids as well, love your, love your children, then definitely pray for them in this way. Pray for one another here in this church family because this is all important. We want to see God's work prosper and grow. But it's really, really important that we do that job of discipling in our own families. So we have a big job here, don't we? Do you see the importance of it? I pray that as we conclude the service today, you will talk to the Lord about what you've been challenged with today, pastorally, and you'll have a response that would be something like, Lord, by the grace of God, I'm going to do that, and I'm going to attempt to be consistent in that. I'm going to take definite steps this week, this week, to begin family worship. And Lord, we're going to try to keep faithful with that to the very end. Those would be some very godly responses to what we've seen here today. One last thought. Don't let it take the place of your own personal time of worship. You still need that. You still need time with the Lord even outside of this. So I know it's a lot, but we as Christians have been called to deny ourselves, take up our crosses daily, and follow Christ. If that's not one of the evidences of it, what is? Can we stand for prayer?